From the University of Bristol, you are listening to Research Frontiers. Hello, and welcome to Research Frontiers, a podcast series from the University of Bristol. I'm your host, Ruby Lotlavinia, and throughout this series, I'll be joined by a collection of Bristol's thought leaders, taking a deep dive into the research at the university, which is changing the world and enriching the education of students who study here. Our contributors will include some of the university's most inspiring minds and the students who learn from them. Throughout these conversations, we'll uncover the transformative power of research, both on our society and in solving global challenges, as well as in the future education of students. Joining me today is Jess Espy, a senior advisor to the United Nations Sustainable Development Solutions Network, SDSN, and the former head of the Trends Program, SDSN's thematic research network on data and statistics. I'll also be speaking with current Bristol student, Nina Cunningham. Welcome, both of you. Thanks for chatting. So I guess just to kick off, Jess, as the expert in the field, can you tell me a bit more about your research? What kind of drew you to global development and the environment in the first place? Yeah, thanks so much, Ruby, um, and lovely to chat to you both today. I'm going to be a full-time lecturer at Bristol starting in July, but this is kind of the culmination of the last 16 years of work, really, which have all focused on global development and environment. I've worked for the UN and for um, NGOs like Save the Children and think tanks and sort of a real mix of different policy and research institutes. And all of my research is focused on different aspects of sustainable development, predominantly concerned with different forms of inequality and how we use data and statistics to sort of better understand and monitor different outcomes. Today, though, my research has taken quite a turn and having worked at the interface between science and policy for the last um, 16, 17 years, I've now taken a step back and I'm currently working on a book which is on the role of science in informing UN negotiation and specifically on the role of science within the UN General Assembly. So I'm really interested in the kind of macro trends around how science and research is actually used to inform political decision making. That sounds like a particularly relevant subject at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> not to get too political. And uh, Nina, um, what were your own steps kind of studying here and what drew you to the course? I've only been here for a year doing my master's. I was originally at a different university doing sociology, so quite a change. I was really interested in the environment from a quite young age, but I didn't really think of it as a career option because I was like so interested in sociology. And then in my final year, I was like, mm, what can I do in the future? And I thought that kind of the environment was a really good like way to go down it's so important to talk about and it's you know just a kind of a very interesting like field study so I was looking around other courses and different universities kind of you know not many of them stood out to me like some of them weren't quite right and then I found this one and it combined my interest in data with my interest in the environment and also kind of few sociology module like style modules as well Okay, great. And Jess, obviously, you're just about to join the University of Bristol. As someone kind of in tune with geography and environment, why are you bringing your research to the university? It's a really good question. I think there's two incentives. I mean, firstly, the University of Bristol, as with the recent REF scores that have just come out, so Research Excellence Framework scores have just come out, um, the uh, geography school at the University of Bristol is the best in the country. And in particular, they've got a really interesting, really interdisciplinary department. And on the human geography side, there's political scientists and public policy people like me, but there's also sociologists and anthropologists and urbanists and so on. So it's it's a really interesting kind of melting pot of different uh, teaching stuff with different expertise and so on. So that was 
was one big incentive. And then the other major incentives, I was just really eager to start making a home in academia um, because having done sort of applied research for quite a long time, I, I sort of felt like I was touching the tip of the iceberg on lots of different subjects, but not really having the time and space to really delve into truly understanding them. So um, joining a, a, a university like Bristol gives me the, the space and time to both learn from other colleagues, but also to really dig into some of this research in a lot more detail. Okay, amazing. And Nina, you kind of discussed like what brought you to the university. How have you found the course so far? I've loved it. Um, I think it's really interesting how it's interdisciplinary. Yeah, I just said. So even like among the staff, you have a whole lot of like different backgrounds, but also among the students, um, you do as well. I can go to class and I can learn from people who have done kind of biology before, for example, or me a background with sociology or people who have come from a career. And so that really drew me to the course. But also um, I looking at the lectures and stuff like they are amazing, um, I think, and really interesting to learn from. Like the research they're doing is so interesting and also kind of very topical and present right now. So it's really cool to learn from people who are actively changing the world and making amazing decisions for the future. Definitely. Sounds very inspiring. Jess, let's kind of get into the, the details of it. So I'd love to talk to you a bit about SDGs or Sustainable Development Goals. Um, now there are 17 and we're not expecting you to go into all of them at this moment. But how is your research contributing to these UN goals? So I'm um, a real SDG nerd. I was one of the negotiators for the outcome on the Sustainable Development Goals when I worked in the UN supporting different countries in their negotiations, particularly I worked in Liberia as President Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, special advisor on this. So I really strongly believe in the the power of, of this framework, this set of 17 goals that are a set of aspirational goals to try and drive you know, political attention and investment and effective public policy uh, moving forward. And in terms of my work, as I said before, I've worked on different goals. I worked a lot on inequality, which is SDG 10. I worked a lot on urban sustainable development and inclusive urban growth, and that's um, SDG 11. But now what I'm really trying to do is to try and contribute applied you know, research that can support the UN system, the General Assembly and um, Economic and Social Council, to try and use the best cutting edge knowledge and research much more effectively to make informed decisions. It's really interesting that there's a very lively discussion about how you use evidence in national policy decisions, but it is a conversation. Um, and it's also starting to bubble up quite a lot in sub-Saharan Africa. There's lots of new research networks trying to do sort of applied research for policy there. But in spite of this interest at the national level, we really haven't seen an equivalent campaign or effort to to try and make science the foundation or at least a, a strong supporting element of political decision making within the UN system. And so that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make sure that when countries um, in particular are designing new policies and investments and programmes in support of different sustainable development goals, they're also looking at the latest science and seeing, you know, what are the most appropriate strategies? What is the latest evidence showing us? And this is all the more important now than ever before, as things are changing so rapidly in the context of climate change and the other uh, biodiversity crises we're facing. And as we're seeing more and more transboundary challenges, you know, things like coronavirus have obviously demonstrated to us that these issues aren't national. They are inter-country, cross-country, transboundary. And so I'm hoping ultimately this research will, will support is a, a slow change within the UN system itself to try and uh, make all of international decision-making more evidence-based. Okay, great. And Nina, how do the sustainable development goals kind of come through in your course? We learn about them in one of our modules. Um, and it was really interesting to actually learn about them kind of in an academic sense, because I did an internship last summer and we actually used the um, SDGs to kind of inform decision-making 
for the actual kind of internship and like part of the business I was working for was trying to improve their relationship with the environment using the SDGs as a baseline. So it's really like interesting to learn about it from a kind of, you know, maybe like critiquing some of them, but also like, you know, understanding how they work because they're obviously used in businesses and in just kind of, you know, the world right now to improve the planet. Yeah, it's amazing when you see something that you learn about kind of applied in practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Jess, I was also really interested to hear more about SDSN's trends, of which you were the director. Could you share some of how this came to be and what the kind of main aim is? I was very involved in the negotiations on the SDGs. And one of the things that we found is that sort of a recurrent theme throughout all the discussions coming from politicians and technicians and policy people was this strong focus on data and statistics. It was sort of one of the main learnings from the Millennium Development Goals that We'd used aggregated statistics and the information we had was really poor and that there were huge time lags with our poverty data and so on. And this really needed to be a focus of attention um, moving forward with the sustainable development goals. But one of the things that I sort of observed at that time is that there wasn't really a kind of academic advisory board. There wasn't really anyone out there who was saying, if you're going to focus on investments in data and statistics, these are the core official statistics you should focus on. These are the core investments you need to make. These are the best new approaches. So we established trends as a a sort of global think tank working on the governance of data and statistics for sustainable development. And in particular, a big focus is how do you encourage public-private partnerships? So, you know, you might have read in the press or seen examples of, for example, telephone companies giving anonymized um, data on individual movement to try and help track disease spread. Happened during the Ebola crisis. It's been used to some degree to track the spread of covid But how do you regulate those kinds of mobile data sources? How do you integrate them with official statistics? How do you use them to support sustainable development outcomes? And what are all the challenges associated with that? So that was really what the group was sort of intending to do, um, be a a sounding board for these issues and and a group of really diverse experts who could provide advice to different countries and to the UN system on this. And in terms of research, how do you handle data on such a kind of seemingly large scale? Are there kind of regular developments in this area or preferred approaches in handling data research? I think it depends on the data you're talking about. It's all very different. I mean, data is is a catch-all term for loads of different types of information. And they all have different governance challenges and they all have different research implications. I think that's one of the things that's been tricky. Whilst there is quite good guidance on how to use these different types of data in in research and scientific research, particularly sort of small scale qualitative and quantitative samples and data sets that are, are compiled by the individual researcher. There's not a lot of guidance on how you use these really large scale data sets coming out of private companies, particularly, and how you use them in research and how you use them within policy and the whole host of governance challenges associated um, with those data sets. Because, of course, a lot of this is individually owned as such, but it's being repurposed by the private company. So it throws up a a huge number of challenges. And I think um, GDPR, which is the new European framework on data management, is a hugely important first step in how we think about um, using data more carefully. And, you know, I hope it's going to pave the way for similar trends in the US and parts of Asia and sub-Saharan Africa and so on. And Nina, what access to data do you have in your studies? I'm kind of interested to hear about what it contributed in your kind of studies and how it might be used post-university. I think you can really tell that the course is informed by data and science. I think that's very important to with climate change, where there's a lot of scepticism around it. The lecturers as well are also kind of very much based in science. So you can see their research and talk to them about what they're doing, which is always very interesting. I think in terms of data, we, we look at we do data analysis as one of our modules. So um, looking at data in that way, like how to analyse it, which is very important. 
but also kind of accessing different sources in terms of like kind of how that relates to the future. I think I'll be bringing a lot of my knowledge, um, my data knowledge into the workplace and also kind of the stuff that I've learned and the new things that I've learned from this course and from the lectures that have taught me. Um, I think it's a very important to like base everything you do with like science and data, particularly when you're trying to convince people that the best way forward is an environmental way. Just a small point to add on that, but with lots of the other master's courses across the geography school, there are modules on qualitative and quantitative methods. So how you do research yeah. design, how you use it to inform your projects and your research mm. and so on. So we do um, try and make sure that all students come out of a master's degree with that kind of competence in, in those different areas. And, um, make sure that people are sort of comfortable using data to inform their research in addition to understanding some of the broader governance implications with the sort of macro data conversations that are going on right now. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I think with employers as well, kind of mentioning your data knowledge and kind of, you know, your ability to like understand what what is kind of going on with data is something that's so important. And I found that people are very interested in that. Um, so having those skills has been so useful when I'm looking for jobs. Yeah, I think it's an incredibly important skill. I mean, massively in journalism where I work. It's, it can like be incredibly informative and, and very useful just for unpacking information and also communicating mm. information, which is like such a yeah. large part of kind of any role. And also just personally as well, I would say kind of looking at data and not taking it like as it is understanding it and knowing where it comes from is something that a lot of people don't know so this course like has taught me a lot of how to do that so when I look at the data I won't go oh this is the this is the result I can actually analyze it and understand where it's from rather just taking it at its face value yeah very very useful And Jess, do you find a crossover between your kind of different research projects or do you see them as very distinct units? I think in the past, my research has been quite siloed. As I said, I've done quite a lot of work around understanding child vulnerability and inequalities as they affect children. And that could be different forms of compounding uh, inequality. So income, assets, health, well-being and so on. And then separately, I started sort of specialising in things like urban sustainable development. And what's been really nice, both working on data and statistics and the governance of data and statistics, and now working more broadly on sort of the role of science within multilateralism, is it's finally pulling all these different sectoral insights together and really starting to understand where there are sort of complementarities and also very similar challenges across different sectors in how we Research is used, how it informs policy and decision making, how it's communicated to the general public. And that's really sort of where my interests lie now is trying to be multi-sector and understand, you know, how improvements in one area can inform advances in another. Mm-hmm. And Nina, what kind of research strategies have you developed through your studies at Bristol? Critiquing data is a big one for me kind of how how to work how to um, apply yourself and kind of understand the kind of science but also how that works public policy writing essays creating an argument I think kind of in terms of that just kind of researching my course is not um, a research master's but I still you know use the research skills that I've learned throughout the course for my dissertation I'm doing it on um, carbon offsetting and so I'm doing interviews and surveys I've done kind of both briefly but it's a quite a new experience for me. So it's going to be really useful to actually carry those out and look at my own data and analyze my own data um, and then make conclusions from what I discover. So I'm very excited to like start doing that. But just throughout the course, I think of developing an argument using the data that's been given to you is something that is a really important skill that I've learned and it'll be so useful when I have a job and go into work and, you know, have to argue a point across particularly when it comes to climate change, where sometimes needs a bit of convincing people to get on board with that. Yeah, it's good when you have the data, when you've got the stats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> and just kind of speaking of projects and research subjects, do you know what you're going to be researching next? 
very good question. I've got lots of ideas and sort of irons in the fire. As I said, I've got this book coming out on the role of science and multilateralism in later in this year. Um, and I'm specifically doing a series of papers at the moment on that topic, but within different sectors. So to try and understand out how it played out, for example, amongst the, the public health community, which has a very long tradition of engaging with science and academia and the lessons that can be learned from that and so on. I think moving forward, a topic I'm really interested in is actually, and, and having looked in a lot more detail at the UN system, um, I've worked in it for a long time, but actually having had the chance to sort of take a step back and critically understand it, I'm really interested in thinking about um, the decolonization of, of institutions of, of global governance. There's still a lot of historical relics, you could say, in the way the UN system is structured, not necessarily through any fault of its own. It's a, a product of history. But, you know, I think there are a lot of things. Obviously, the, the composition of the Security Council is a very well-known one. But even within the General Assembly, there are a lot of institutional challenges that I think you know still need to be overcome. And so I'm quite interested in looking at how that affects outcomes, decision making, whose voice counts and kind of how power and authority play into a lot of the decision making that happens at the highest levels of government. I've got another quite like big question for you. What would you say is kind of the main aim of your research? What are the real world consequences you want to see and what are you hoping as an individual to achieve? Writ large, I, I want to see, you know, sustainable development outcomes for the world. Um, I'm, uh, you know, we need to take drastic and immediate action on climate change, on biodiversity loss, on a whole range of different planetary crises, as well as social issues. You know, we have really acute levels of inequality and deprivation still around the world and inequality is only rising. So I think, you know, at the very highest level, just really trying to draw more attention to these really important issues. But I think in a more practical way, I'm very focused on applied research, the so research to inform policy and to work very closely with different government stakeholders and policymakers, so ministers or heads of state to try and help them think about these issues and then think about how they design more effective policy and programs in response. And so, you know, one core part of that is obviously how do you use the best cutting edge evidence and research to do that? And how do you turn insights you might get from huge multi-country studies into actually designing a new program on early childhood interventions or on plastic management, on sustainable production and consumption? And that's really kind of that nexus is where I'm really interested. So I hope that through the small amount of research I'm able to contribute, I can support policymakers to do that a bit more effectively and, and help us move towards the sustainable development goals that we've set for the world. And how do you think your research is shared and interacted with by students? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I've tried to bring a lot of my research into the classroom, into teaching. So where I've worked on sort of facilitating different types of negotiation. As I said, I was very involved in the negotiations on the SDGs. Um, I've tried to bring that into classes I've been teaching on urban sustainable development, thinking about how do you design policy at the local level, at the national level um, to deliver sustainable outcomes and, and sort of bringing in those reflections. So both my research and my practical experience, because, you know, obviously I've worked in different professional capacities. Um, so I try and bring it into, just weave it into my lectures and my classes. And, you know, my teaching style is quite discursive and chatty so try and bring the students in as much as possible to sort of talk and reflect on these issues and so on and then in terms of my written research you know some of it does relate very much to the things we're teaching so for a lot of the teachers at Bristol a lot of our research does end up on the on the reading lists and on the course set material you know they're real leaders uh you know their work is really kind of at the forefront of their sector and so it very often is what students will end up reading um, and I think that's quite inspiring because you're really learning from you know some of the best in the field 
And Nina, from your perspective, for those kind of interested in sustainable development, how do you interact with it? How do the results and accomplishments kind of influence your own study and the research? I think it's very similar to what Jess was saying, how the people we learn from are so present. It's really cool to like, you know, look at your reading list and go, oh, my lecturer wrote that. For sustainable development, I think it's a kind of a baseline for a lot of the course. So every time I think about it, it kind of, you know, it ties a lot to what I'm learning about trying to like, you know, improve the world in in an effective way. So again, basing it in science, basing it in data, but also like collaborating with people, learning from others. I think that's a very important way to kind of improve and improve the planet in, in all facets. I think that listening to people like, you know, people on my course and, you know, seeing what they have to say is so fascinating. And I've really found that's useful, particularly coming from, you know, a different background to some of my peers. It's really interesting to learn from them, but also the lecturers. In terms of my own study, I've like it broadened my perspective on things. I listen more to people, um, I would say, and I kind of take in more what people are saying, um, understanding kind of different backgrounds and perspectives to try and create a better world overall. Mm-hmm. And Jess, kind of on a more personal level, do you feel like you've achieved what you set out to with your research? And uh, is there anything you feel like you've missed? Is there anything you feel like a yearning to return to? Uh, is there an area you could you could go back to? Um, that's a huge question. I, I don't think you could ever say you've achieved what you set out to do. I mean, we're I'm all done. striving to finish. <laughs> Sustainable development. So no, I mean, I think the world has got a very long way to go and there's no end of work we could continue to do. I mean, I used to work with Jeffrey Sachs, who is um, a leading sort of global economist who's written extensively on sustainable development. And he's been working on these topics since he was 20 and, you know, at least sort of 40, 50 years now have gone by and he's still writing frantically and campaigning and talking and is the most passionate advocate and academic you'll ever meet on this topic. And I think he's just testament to the fact that the project's never over. There's still so much more to do and so much more to learn and so much more to research. In terms of personal goals, I mean, one of the things that I absolutely loved and I, I sort of feel was a huge highlight to date of my career is um, working in Liberia and um, supporting President Sirleaf when she was the co-chair of the negotiations on the first stage of the sustainable development goals when they were first being deliberated. And uh, that was just amazing, you know, sort of really uh, immersing myself in a completely different culture and a different way of working and support her office as best I could, you know, and to really understand how a policy process can be completely different in the context to which I was born. So that was something I've utterly loved and I feel was a real sort of highlight of everything I've done. But I would never say I have fulfilled any of the ambitions that I initially set out. So I'm, I'm planning on working probably till I'm, you know, 100. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and do you feel optimistic when you look at the kind of work you're doing and look at the industry? And the sector. I do actually, yeah. And I, you know, I think we all come across doomsdayers and I think we all have elderly relatives and friends and stuff who say, oh, the problem is too big. There's nothing we can do. Why would I become a vegan? Why would I lower my meat consumption? Why would I worry about recycling? You know, there's all these arguments that can always be made to sort of not think about individual actions you can take. But broadly speaking, I'm incredibly optimistic because actually I think particularly young people these days, a lot of people I work, I encounter students, but also younger colleagues are just really motivated to take individual actions around sustainable development to educate their friends and peers their children you know my son I've got two two boys um and one of them is five and at school he has just done a whole week on recycling and he came back and told me off because I put something in the wrong bin and you know so just it's really inspiring to see the fact that this has just become such a big issue for younger generations now and I I'm really confident that 
you know, with all this sort of, all these young, inspiring minds, uh, we will come up with some incredible solutions. Obviously, we still need huge political and behavioural change right now. And that's something that we have to keep fighting for. And there will be irreversible damage to the planet. I mean, that much we already know. But I think there is a lot we can do to try and stem the tide and try and reverse a lot of the ecological damage we've seen. And I, I'm optimistic that younger generations are, are going to be much better than my generation have been. So um, yes, I feel confident that we're moving in a positive direction. Good. That's something to feel positive about. <laughs> and just finally, Nina, what would you say to someone considering a similar choice and study? What advice would you give them from your own experience? Well, personally, I would say go for it, but that's definitely who I am. I think really consider if it's for you. I found for me it was useful really doing for a job, but that's not necessarily the only reason why you should do something like a master's like in environment. I looked at the course, you know, emailed about it, um, went to like um, open days, just to kind of really understand if it was right for me. And I'm very happy that it was. And like, you know, it, it kind of there's a feeling that you get, and it's very hard to describe. But you read a course and you look at it, and everything's saying, "Oh yeah, this is good. This is good." Um, I think it's kind of, you know, tying to what you enjoy and understanding if it's right for you. I would say, yeah, research, to be honest, is the main thing. University of Bristol is so lucky that we have some amazing lecturers. So definitely um, a place to consider. And wherever course you go into, the environment is such an important area. And just learning about it, it's kind of, you know, for me, I feel like I'm trying to make a difference. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. And finally, Nina, do you feel optimistic from your studies? Do you feel optimistic in the uh, in the area? Yeah, I would agree with Jess, I do actually. I think when I first started, I was going into it, like trying to imagine fixing something that's completely broken, but it's not just kind of being around people who are so passionate about um, the planet and the environment and kind of, you know, improving, like creating sustainable development and improving the world for everybody on it really shows that there are people out there who actually care and want to make change and are making change right now. Um, something that's so significant. So I'm kind of confident that you know, there are people out there who want to change the world and want to make amazing differences, like Jess included, you know, lecturers, um, all the kind of people who are doing my course. So it's kind of made me optimistic again, because I feel like, you know, we're in safe hands. Great. Jess, Nina, thank you so much for your time and such an inspirational conversation. It's been super fascinating to chat with you. And thanks for sharing your time and wide, wide knowledge with me. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to Research Frontiers from Bristol University. We hope you found inspiration, information, answers, and more in all of these great conversations. Don't forget to check in over at www.bristol.ac.uk forward slash study forward slash postgraduate for more details on Bristol courses and information about Bristol University. Also, keep the podcast nearby. Subscribe to Research Frontiers wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And please do share with people who might benefit too. Thank you for listening to Research Frontiers. Research Frontiers.